So we're still sleeping when there's pounding on the cabin door and I hear the voice of the pastor calling us, Dr. Ken, Dr. Ken, wake up, wake up. Dr. Ken, Dr. Ken, wake up. So we stumbled to the door and he said, it rained all night in the mountains and the streams and rivers are flooding. He said, we have to go now. Get the family up, let's go right now. For 2,000 years, Christ has been extending His kingdom through ordinary, faithful people. Their blood, sweat, and tears are the seeds of the global church. The gospel is spreading across the world, saving sinners, renewing nations, and changing everything. But today, many in the modern church are weak, torn, comfortable. The book of Hebrews says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses watching us from heaven, spurring us on. The stories of these faithful Christ followers who've gone before us are what we need to wake up and return to our first love for Christ's mission. Let's learn from them. On this episode of Cloud of Witnesses, we learn about the life and ministry of ABWE missionaries Ken and Alice Cole who served the Lord in the Philippines and throughout Asia for over 35 years. I'm Ken Cole, and this is my wife. Hi, I'm Alice. My parents, like Alice's parents, we always had missionaries in our home, and I was fascinated by the medical missionaries that came and visited. And so I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be a medical missionary. And so it was really in God's providence that I was accepted to medical school at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. And uh, I say it was really God's thing because Cedarville was not accredited then. And uh, I was the first graduate ever to go to uh, med school there. And uh, so then during that time that I was in medical school, uh, we had to do uh, a one month community service. And uh, I really, wanted to do it overseas to see medical missions. And so I went to the professor in charge and I said, this is my proposal, my project of community medicine. It's gonna be a mission hospital in the Philippines. And before I could ask him for more time, he said, oh, if you're gonna go over there and take all that time, you'd better do more than one month. When I'll give you elective time and you can go over there. So that's the way it, it turned out. And so I did that, took that uh, time off and uh, went to a mission hospital in the Southern Philippines. And uh, God sealed, at that time, God, God sealed the decision that yes, I want you in medical missions. So I went back to the States, finished med school, did a residency in pediatrics at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And in 1976, made my way to candidate classes with ABWE. I had the privilege, and it was a privilege, to be born into a Christian family. And by the time I was 13, I was convinced that God wanted me to be a missionary. And the reason that came about is because my mom and dad were very good about um, having missionaries over for meals. We didn't have room to house them. But they always made sure that mom was ready to share her good cooking skills with the missionaries. And 
I didn't help her that much with the meals, but what I remember from those meals is the missionaries themselves, because they told some really fantastic stories about how God had worked on their particular fields in countries I probably had not even heard of. Um, I later ended up in Bible college um, to be a missionary. That's what was my main goal. Uh, when I was in college, I spent a summer in Hong Kong with the Passwaters. They invited me to come and join in their ministry. And I was so excited because they were starting a kindergarten. And you should see those cute little Chinese kids in their sailor uniforms, ages three and four. Of course, I was gonna come back and teach in the kindergarten. And so that was what I went home. They said, if you're gonna do that, you have to go back home and get your elementary education degree. So I tacked another two years onto my four years of Bible college and ended that finally in 1976, when I went to the candidate class, the bicentennial year of our country at ABWE. I began as a very shy, scared, um, single girl going to Hong Kong and loving every minute of it there and then going on vacation to the Philippines where I fell madly in love with a doctor and changed my field and joined him in the Philippines and we spent 27 years there together and later went to Thailand we just kept moving up in our ministry. <laughs> we went to Thailand and we served there for seven years and enjoyed every minute of that. And when we left that, our daughter came and began to minister there. And also our son then also joined the mission. So we are thrilled to be part of ABWE. Newly married and now serving together in the Philippines, the Coles began adjusting to their new life together while also exploring how God might use them next with church planting. We got married in early December and we're back in the Philippines in January, back involved in the medical work and everything. But Alice had just finished Cantonese language school in Hong Kong. For two years. <laughs> and now the field leader said, well, you really ought to go to language school and pick up the local dialect here. Which, which she was not happy about having to do. But in the end, it worked out well because we got to do this extended honeymoon over in the big city away from the medical work and go back to language school. And it really helped me because by this time I had all these questions. I was able to converse in the hospital, but wasn't doing very well outside of that. And so this really helped me go. It made everything clear back in language school while she was just doing the beginning course. So all in all, we were there at the Leite Baptist Clinic and Hospital for seven, I guess I was there for seven years. And uh, our first two sons were born there. They were the first white babies born at the little hospital. So that tells you what my ministry was. <laughs> but she was involved in uh, children's, ministry. children's uh, ministry during that time. So then, although we were assigned to help certain Philippine evangelists and certain church plants that were in the area, the, the hospital just takes all your time and really wasn't much time to, to be involved in those. And then the Lord opened up this uh, opportunity to go to Manila. The church planters there said, if you're looking for another or a different ministry to be involved in church planting, come join us, we'd love to have a doctor. So we went, I, I was a member of the Medical Society, the Pediatric Society, so 
they said, you could probably teach in a medical school there in Manila and everything. So we did move to Manila after a furlough, came back to Manila, and I got one interview with a medical school and God was just changing the direction and giving me Bible studies all over the place. And the church planters that were all there all had to go back to the States for various reasons, elderly parents, kids going to college. And so we ended up being one of the only ones in the city, weren't we? Yeah. Uh, there in Manila. And so we were worshiping at the main flagship church downtown, Manila Baptist Church. And the Filipino pastor said, I heard you have a burden of vision for church planting. And I said, I do. And he said, you, would you be interested in a church plant? I said, yes. So that church uh, loaned us eight members and we went out to Quezon City and started Heritage Baptist Church, an English speaking professional class church. I think one thing that's important to note too is that sometimes we need to take into consideration the customs or the thinking of the country where we are when we make our decisions. Because when we went back to Manila, when we went to Manila from our furlough, the missionary said to us, please go into one of our upper class subdivisions to live. At that point, we had three little tiny kids. Um, they said, go there to live so that you could, so we can get an upper class, maybe more of an upper class church. And so we moved into this beautiful subdivision and went about going door to door to try and get contacts and soon found out that was not the cultural way in Manila. We would get to the door and a house girl would answer and say, do you have an appointment? No. Well, I'm sorry, you can't see Mr. Santos or whatever his name was. And so we found out, no, that is not the way to make contacts in Manila. So we eventually did the Bible study method, but that wasn't really the greatest way. We just had to get some young people that were great with their own peers. And that's how basically yeah, the church grew. Most of grew. our members that were loaned to us were experienced and older people. We started reaching when I say the professional class people, these were college students or recent graduates or people that already had Filipinos, they had jobs who were fluent in English. And so that's how the, the church grew. But an interesting church planting conundrum that came out of that is that when you do reach professionals, what do you do about the other people that come? Because they have drivers, they have maids, they have nannies that come. So Early on, our people said, you know, well, we need to be reaching them, not in English. And so we frequently had classes in Tagalog that were just for the house help or the drivers. And if we could get them to, to come in and, and, uh, and to hear the gospel as well. I think an example of that was when I was working to start the nursery. First of all, that's a that's an American thinking because Filipinos didn't want to leave their children in the nursery. They brought their nannies with them and expected them to take care of them. So even though I said, no, I'm here to take care, they can go to the service, it didn't work because they just didn't think that way. And so that's how we also got started yeah. with trying to reach, trying to train our people to, to reach the other people of the congregation that we hadn't thought ahead of. <laughs> Having faithfully served their church plant, the Coles are once again provided new opportunities. Ken is given a new opportunity to guide the Philippines team to a new strategic vision. And Alice extends her ministry to their children by teaching at their school. Well, the church plant was moving along and we were 
gearing towards uh, turning it over to a Filipino pastor when the mission asked me to be the field team leader. There's various names that were used over the years, but the, I guess you call the field leader, team leader. And so we did. And we did that for, what, 10 years then, didn't we? Pretty much, yeah. So we were involved in that, and part of the job description is is that you're on the board of the Bible schools. I was on the board for Awana Philippines and things like that. I used to joke that I was bored to death because I was on so many boards and had to go to (laughs) meetings. Oh, I was on the MK school board as well, and then you went on the board. Actually, during that time when he was getting involved in leadership was when our children were ready to start school. And I had said I would never go teach there until all my kids were in school, so I wouldn't have to leave any behind. (laughs) So I started teaching at the MK School, which is called Faith Academy in Manila. So when he was busy coordinating, we called it the team leader, I was at the school teaching second grade, got to have my own daughter in my class the first year. That was very special. And then got involved with the library and ended up being the librarian in the elementary and even one year in the high school and really loved that, loved being able to go to school with the kids and not usually come home with them because they had after school activities. I thought that was a great privilege that God gave to me in the middle of our kind of our time in the Philippines because it was just special for me to put my kids first and be able to be with them instead of being out doing something else. But we also continued to do other things as well. When asked to share one of his most memorable adventures during his time in the Philippines, Ken had this story to share. Our kids were teenagers then, still living at home in high school, junior high and high school. And because I was the team leader, many times I got invited to preach at various uh, Filipino churches uh, throughout Luzon and, and areas. I got to know a, a young man when he was still at Bible school and followed him along as he studied God's Word and graduated and and became a, a, an assistant youth pastor at a church. And we went and visited there one time and saw him and everything. And then he got married and, and had a family. And he saw me at a church conference one day and I said, oh, where are you now? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm pastoring over here. And, uh, and he gave the name of the town. And I said, oh, really? He said, oh, you gotta come. Dr. Ken, you got to come and and preach it at this church and everything. And I said, wow, it's, it'll be quite a drive, won't it? And, well, yeah, he said, but but uh, don't worry about it. He said, because this there, there's resorts near our town because it's on the, on the water, on the bay. Uh, and he said, the resorts, and I said, well, I never heard of those resorts. He said, no, that's because he said that the, the Americans and the Europeans don't come to these resorts. He said, this is where the, the Koreans and the Chinese will come to, to these resorts because they're a little bit cheaper and farther away. And he said, so I'll put the fam- bring the family and I'll put, them, we'll, I'll put you up in a resort and they can go swimming in the ocean and, and do everything. I said, yeah, okay. That's and so I, I told the kids, let's, we picked a date, I guess it probably was because there was maybe a long weekend so the kids didn't have to get back to school. So we drove down there. It was an all-day drive, pretty good highway for most of the way, but then we had to cross the mountains on pretty rugged, rocky, zigzaggy roads and everything until we came into this small 
fishing village on the coast and went to the church to meet the pastor and his wife and little kids and everything. And I was going to preach on Sunday. So he said, okay, uh, let's, I'll take you to the resort. So we drive through town and then on the outskirts of town, we have to drive across the river, which is not a problem because in the Philippines, that's quite frequently you ford streams and rivers. And so I had this big diesel. It was the, the precursor of an SUV. They called them AUVs, Asian utility vehicles. It had a big diesel engine and it was not four wheel drive, but still it was pretty, pretty uh, heavy duty vehicle. And so we easily crossed the stream and found the resort and everything. And it was rugged. It wasn't five stars, maybe two, <laughs> but our family was used to it. And the, you know, the kids thought it was adventuresome and everything. And so uh, I guess we didn't have really much time before the sun set but they were there on the beach and I don't know if they went swimming or whatever. The pastor said, drive back and you need to leave at such such time to be back for the service. And okay, fine. So we're still sleeping when there's pounding on the cabin door and I hear the voice of the pastor calling us, Dr. Ken, Dr. Ken, wake up, wake up. Dr. Ken, Dr. Ken, wake up. So we stumbled to the door and he said, it rained all night in the mountains and the streams and rivers are flooding. He said, we have to go now. Get the family up, let's go right now. So we did, we roused the kids up and everything, didn't even get to eat the breakfast at the resort or anything. Grabbed all our stuff and hurried out to the truck and, and took off and sure enough, Farther down the road, the road was getting muddier and muddier and uh, uh, it was slick to drive in. And we get to the river and it is, the stream that we had crossed was a river. It was swollen. It was twice the width. And here's all these vehicles on both sides stopped. Buses, trucks with produce and everything and the jeepneys trying to figure out what to do. And, I, and he says, we have to get across. And I said, all right, you need to find out where is the best crossing. You ask around and he said, I'll lead you. And I said, okay. So he found the place that he thought was the best crossing. And, uh, and our eldest, Mike, you know, typical teenagers said, you know, oh, I wanna go too. So he jumps in the water with his, uh, you know, Sunday pants on or whatever it was. And uh, we started down into that river and uh, we're going along. And when I got to the deepest part, the water is sloshing up, of course, onto the hood. And now I can't see because the steam off the engine is steaming like crazy and, and it's fogged. I got the wipers on and everything. And I knew that I didn't have a snorkel on this. So I knew that the exhaust was gonna choke out here pretty soon. We got right into the middle. I was following another jeepney full of people that was just to my side going down and he stalled right in the middle. And I heard this big gasp as all the, the passengers went, oh, and guys are jumping off into the water trying to push the jeepney. And, and the engine, my engine started chugging. 
and Mike and the pastor were pushing behind him, not that that would do anything. It started chugging and I prayed to the Lord. I said, okay, I don't know how we're gonna get this thing out of here if it dies. And that was the deepest part and we were already on the up slope or the bank going up. And fortunately it pulled it up out of there that it could get enough air and start purring again. And we pulled it up on shore and waited for Mike and the pastor dripping wet to climb on board and and we made it to the church and uh, got cleaned up and had the service. And my kids still remember that. That is one of their best stories, missionary kids stories, is crossing the river in flood stage. Oftentimes, God will lead us into ministries serving a population we don't feel comfortable with or feel equipped to lead. But if we follow his leading, he will often open our hearts and our eyes to experience how his love for the lost is so much more than what we can imagine and how no one is beyond his reach. When we were in Manila, uh, God put me into a ministry that I fought against, uh, literally <laughs> didn't want to do it. I was currently the guest house manager in Manila, which that's one of my lessons also is that that to me did not seem like ministry to be a guest house manager and feed people and get the beds ready for them. And God taught me in that ministry that anything done for him and for his work is ministry. And I shouldn't question him for what he has for me to do. And I should have learned that. But in the same term, I was asked to be the Bible study teacher for the women at the Correction Institute for Women in Manila, in Mandaluyong. And I heard that and I said, no, no, that's not me. I've never been in a prison and I hope to never go into a prison. And they said, oh, but this is really a great ministry. And there had been a missionary doing it before. Um, they had just started it. There was a girl in one of our church, a woman in one of our churches who had gotten caught in a scheme, in a fraud scheme. She really was not guilty, but she was being used as an example by the government. And so uh, though her bosses were at fault, she was in the, at the reception desk and signed the papers uh, that involved the fraud situation. And so they came after her instead of the bosses. Uh, we all knew she was innocent. We believed her story and she was innocent. She was a Christian. And so she in the prison wanted um, our missionaries to come in and teach her Bible study. And so I said, well, yeah, I, I guess I can teach one lady a Bible study. Well, what they didn't tell me was that every time this woman, I call her Susan, came to the Bible study, she brought other women with her. <laughs> and that's what scared me. This was a, it's a correctional institute. It's not like a prison with bars. They roam all over freely. They have lots of guards walking around. And when you go in, you have to give them everything you have on you, but you can take a Bible in and your Bible study book. Um, but it still scared me just having all these women around in their uh, prison uniforms. But Susan was such a good example to me of don't give up on anybody. <laughs> I looked at these women and I said, wow, they're hardened criminals. And, uh, you know, I, I started it not very willingly, but God worked in my heart over that I think three years that I worked in there, 
And though I started with one who was very willing as a Christian to do Bible study, to over several dozen ladies were coming by the time I finished, not because of me. I was only one of, I think, other missionaries at that time. Also, occasionally, another Filipinos went in. But it was just so exciting to see Susan excited about the women coming and say, come on, let's share the gospel with them. And we did. And it was so exciting to see women come to know the Lord in their helpless situation. Some of them, I'm not sure if they ever got out of prison. I'm not sure if Susan ever did. But Susan had a hope that God had put her in there for a reason, and that was to help share the gospel in the prison. And she put me to shame because I had been so unwilling at, at first, and I grew to really like it and looked forward to going. But, and over the, the course of the time, the, the, the group grew, and eventually they had actually male pastors come into the women's prison, and eventually they formed a church, and they had a big group I don't know if you remember how many were going, but it was a big group of ladies and singing and rejoicing and just having a wonderful time because they had come to know the Lord. And I often sat there just so embarrassed that I had been so afraid that none of them would ever want to listen and none of them would ever come to know the Lord. And so I just always thought that's such a lesson for me that don't give up on anybody. God can work in anybody's life and God can save anyone. And so I always look back on that time, that three years, as just a growing experience for me. I've never done a Bible study like it since, and I probably never will, but it was worth all the time I put into it to see growth, um, see, first of all, birth as they were born again, and then growth as they um, grew in their faith so much that they wanted to form a church where they could meet and be such a testimony in that prison. And so I just thank God for that story and for the privilege I had of working at the prison in Mandaluyong. Now serving as the field coordinator for the Philippines, Ken begins to discover a new opportunity to reach the nations, mobilizing Filipinos for ethnic home ministries as well as cross-cultural and bivocational missions. This new passion for the mobilization of nationals begins the next journey of their missionary service. It was during this time that EBWE was really <clears throat> encouraging the fields to develop strategies, future strategies of what you envisioned, what you should be focusing on. And so as our <clears throat> leadership team worked through that, we realized that, of course, ABWE had been in the country for many, many decades from before World War II, the founding in the 1920s. And that there were there were tens of thousands of evangelical churches. There's over a thousand Baptist churches, and that we really needed to be involved in ministries that the national church wanted us to be involved in. Also, by this time, the medical works, and and we had four ABWE hospitals by that time. Uh, most of them had national leadership, and so there were very mm -hmm. few. American missionaries at the hospitals anymore, although we still would go down and encourage them and, and help them from time to time. And so as we talked to the national, the Philippine national leadership, where does ABDBE, where should we be involved in? And three things came to the, to the top of the conversation was church strengthening ministries, uh, advanced theological education, because they already had Bible schools, they wanted more advanced, and missions. 
ABW, or I should say, uh, the Philippine churches had been sending out missionaries for many, many years. They were one of the early Asian countries to send missionaries to other countries. But there was now a whole new generation coming up. Many of these people were professionals who were being asked to do tent-making kind of ministries or work with non-government organizations overseas. And they needed help in, in direction and guidance and all of that. So what is a field, we realized that all of these decades of ABW being there, we had modeled how to be a pastor, how to be a church planner, how to be a Bible school teacher. And we were missionaries and we didn't show them how to be a missionary. <laughs> and uh, so we started focusing on those three things and helping. And, and so that's where our missionaries then start gravitating to those different areas of ministry. And then, yeah, after 10 years, we were really excited about the missions program because a number of professionals now were uh, going out to really countries that Americans couldn't go to anymore, but the Filipinos could get into them and they could work as a tent maker in some professional capacity and be a witness for Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> we then started getting a holy restlessness is what we called it and came back to the U.S. and I guess one of our furloughs were at the home office, talked to a number of people. And then what opened up was we were challenged to, why don't you, if you're excited about what the Filipino missionaries, the two-thirds world missions is doing, why don't you be over there to be the, the recipient, the catcher that help, help facilitate where these uh, Asian missionaries could go. And uh, Bangkok was recommended as a, a good hub, good airport, central location. And so we moved there in 2004 to be involved in what we call the two-thirds world missions uh, movement. We were initially involved in the Hong Kong churches. We were getting mm -hmm. ready to send their missionaries out. We worked with that. They were forming their mission board. I made a number of trips to Hong Kong to help them sort through issues. The Filipino missionaries in Thailand were helping the Thai churches form their mission board, and we saw their first missionary go out to, to Cambodia. Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were really excited about what God was doing there. And shortly after we arrived was when the tsunami happened in the Andaman Sea. And so out of that, we got involved in a joint project with the Thai churches, the Philippine mission, in starting a work down in the tsunami area. Initially, of course, as humanitarian, and then out of that, a church uh, was formed. And then we just started traveling then, because we were with what was then known as GAP, and started traveling throughout Southeast Asia. We went to Nepal, to Northeast Thailand, uh, India. Myanmar. Myanmar, oh, many times to Myanmar. Cambodia, and we checked Cambodia. in Cambodia. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was an exciting time seeing what God was doing because we were helping our national partners trying to help facilitate the things that the, the ministries that they were doing. I think that was probably about the most exciting part of our missionary life overall. If we look well, we back, were empty nesters too. So. Yeah, if we look back over it, it was a time when we saw God in work in a way that we hadn't asked for or hadn't even realized existed in how we could not just help our national people become Christians or even become growing in their Christian faith, but we could help them become 
missionaries get that burden that God gives to spread the gospel to another country. And that means that they have to learn a new language many times. Of course, they do it much easier than we do, but learn a new language, learn a new culture and find out what things didn't work there that worked at home. And it was just exciting to watch that process with people that we already had such a love for and to see them succeed. It was really exciting. Ken and Alice faithfully served the Lord through ABWE in the Philippines, Thailand, and throughout Asia for some 35 years. Through medical missions, church planting, equipping nationals for mobilization, disaster response, and so much more, the Coles devoted their lives to serving Christ wherever he led them. It's through their steadfast service that many have been reached with the gospel and equipped to share that gospel with others. Cloud of Witnesses is a production of ABWE. I'm your host, Alex Kochman. Our production director is Grant Boring. Our researcher and interviewer is Jay York. Production support is provided by David Brandt. Additional voiceovers by Jason Younger. Get equipped to make more disciples and learn more about how you can reach the nations at abwe.org. Cloud of Witnesses is a production of ABWE. ABWE is a global family of ministries reaching more than 80 countries by sharing Christ, planting churches, and training Christian leaders. After nearly 100 years, ABWE is continuing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You can help us advance the kingdom for the next 100 years and beyond by supporting the mission through the Global Gospel Fund. Learn more at abwe.org forward slash cloud.